the innovation the blockchain has brought to us is not much the cryptocurrency, which is uh, one of those use cases, but little things as the tip of the iceberg, is the fact that in the digital world, you can have singularity, uniqueness. Hey, Roberto, how you doing, bud? Hey, doing good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, so excited to get to know you better. Some of the exciting things you've been doing, it looks like for quite a while now, but you're still, you know, at the the tip of the spear and advancing a lot of technology that, you know, we, we, we need to learn more about because honestly, we don't know enough about. So welcome to the Business Line podcast. Why don't you kick us off and let us let our audience know a little bit about you and uh, kind of how you got into what you're doing these days. All right. So yeah. Hello, everybody. And thank you for having me in your show. Um, my name is Roberto Capodieci. If my accent, my accent didn't give it away already, I am Italian <laughs> because nobody's perfect. And uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in Italy. Then at age 18, I started going to the United States until I spent most of the time there. Then age 30, moved to Southeast Asia where I'm living until now. I know I look 25, but I'm almost 50 next year. I'll get so, out of here. You don't look a day over 25. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Inside at least, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, my career has been in IT since I was a little kid. I started learning coding when I was five years old, thanks to my father that had been teaching me. And then uh, age 10, I implemented the first video game and started selling it. Uh, 14, oh. with the authorization of code for minors, I started my first company. And I've been a serial entrepreneur since then. In the past 15 years, I've been into decentralization, uh, even before blockchain with the BitTorrent uh, protocol, peer-to-peer -peer networks and things like that. Uh, I started several companies. I like the idea to decentralize. I think in the era of uh, in the age of information technology, we are in the phase of uh, decentralizing things. And, mm. uh, so there I am, and I've been doing several Businesses related last year, I took a little bit of sabbatic time off uh, and uh, just to enjoy a little bit uh, life uh, and uh, detox from stress. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's back up a little bit because you said a lot of interesting things really quick. I can tell you've done that a few times, you've been on a few <laughs> shows, so you're really good at that. I'm really interested to know I have a son who is 12 and he loves video games like a lot of boys do at that age, a lot of right. girls too, honestly, but like he. He's a creative mind. He loves to read. Uh, he really wants to try to figure something out that, you know, to do outside of just playing, right? So he's kind of dabbling. Um, he homeschools. He does a lot of his schooling on uh, on a computer. And he's got uh, a coding class that he's been taking for the past year. And it's JavaScript. It's relatively mm -hmm. basic. It kind of uses uh, visual cues to put like coding blocks into places and kind of teach principles and stuff like that. But very often he gets into a place where... He gets an obstacle, and so he struggles with the, the mastering of the details because he wants to jump right to a result. So if uh -huh. you were talking to a young man and saying, hey, I know you're interested in this, but it's going to take a whole lot of work, I try to tell him that as his pops, as his dad, but he's like rolls his eyes and dad. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so he'll listen to this podcast. So for someone who's done it at a very young age, been successful, what kind of advice would you give a young person to – to how to stick with it, even through the drudgery of the monotonous coding. It is not an easy thing because I've been lucky because uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, video games, the first things that came out were horrible. So the shift from playing a game and start coding one was very, very close. 
and you still need a lot of that knowledge to even uh, manage to get some games to run. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was an easy shift. Nowadays, games are so fascinating, so beautiful, so immersive, and uh, are studied by psychologists to make them addictive. Uh, so yeah, it is yeah. a harder jump to go from one side of the fence uh, to the other. So it really takes uh, a passion from wanting to create. Yet on the other side, the tools to do incredible things are there. They were not there at the time. So it's very easy to put not too much effort and see good results. Yeah. So the, And the beautiful thing as well is that 40 years ago, 45 years ago, either you get to know somebody that knows and they can teach you, but there was no other resources. There was no internet. There was no Wikipedia. Yeah. There were no YouTube, right? Today, the resources to learn are super available. And furthermore, after the past year, even ChatGPT is a fantastic tool oh. if you get stuck with a problem when you try coding or finding a solution. Ask the question, and you're going to find the answer instantly. So <laughs> there is no excuses. Now, today, when we want to, we can do pretty much what we want, I guess. Yeah, I love it. There's no excuses. Yeah, yeah, no that's excuses. that's one I tell myself <laughs> a lot when I get when I get stuck. So stop making excuses. Just get to it, right? I think it comes down to hunger. You got to want it enough to... To, uh, yeah, that's, to that's the, the most difficult work, right? part today, in my opinion. It was easy to get uh, motivated in the past. Today, distractions are so many. Oof. And, uh, you know, so it's really the desire to, to, to jump over the fence and, and, you know, wanting to do things and rejecting all the other potential distractions. That's the, the biggest capacity. That's in, in effect, if you think of the paradigm, schools should not teach subjects. They should teach how to learn and nothing else because the resources to it. learn are all oh, around roberto you just became one of my best friends yeah, thank but you very much yeah you know i i am father of four the oldest one is 32 lives with his girlfriend other oh, are 15 13 so teenagers and they're in this phase that is important the little one is three years old and she's gonna find the huh. planet that is so different from what we all see but right yeah i have four kiddos too 12 10 5 and 2 Right. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to teach the teach how to learn and how to pro solve problems and how right. to overcome obstacles, not necessarily just about subject matter and retention, right? Well, yeah, and then furthermore, I think uh, the difficulty of a teacher is to say after a class of 20 kids, 30 kids, how many they are, and finding an average speed to go. So leaving behind the slowest uh, and boring as hell the best. Uh, now with artificial intelligence, every kid can customize teaching yeah. and learn. And everybody learns differently, right? Like Absolutely. some kids are auditory learners, some are visual, some are Absolutely. kinesthetic. They want to touch things and manipulate. And it's hard. I, you know, I, I feel for teachers. One of my good friends in college is a teacher. He's been for 20 years now. And I can't, I, I don't know how he manages with a class of 30 or 40 people to bring everybody along when everybody's so different, you know? following some rule given by the government they're not if very friendly into learning <laughs> into yeah, creating leaders uh, or creating intelligent uh, people so they're yes <laughs> so often you find that people that and maybe we're getting off topic but so i'd love to get your opinion sometimes you so often you find that people in classes that maybe excel in primary or secondary school or even in postgraduate school you know and things like that they they get in they get out into society and the world and they struggle because they've been so focused laser on the book knowledge and the application within the classroom that you get out and you're having to do this and navigate people and yeah. things like that, that it, there's there's a real challenge there. 
Yeah, school of life is done well is the best uh, school, right? <laughs> so right. learn the by of hard knocks. Yeah, and not not being afraid to also do more humbling jobs, like more and more things like that is uh, to grow up rather yeah. than finding yourself when you come out of many years of school directly in the high position without even knowing what it means to wait the table or to you know do some other kind of job. It's important to those experiences as well. I think on the human aspect. Yes. So you grew up in Italy from being born in Italy all the way to 18-ish when you moved to the States. What was it like growing up in Italy, uh, your childhood all the way to 18? What was that like? Well, it was beautiful because I think uh, it was safer than it could be today. Mm. Uh, sure enough, uh, it was very companionist. It was very isolated. So uh, there were no mixture of culture. It was quite monothematic, the things at the time. But I could go out, there was no cell phone, I would be out until nine in the mm. evening. And my mom knows I come back in a certain time, she will not freak out, she has no news or can control me really every yeah. moment. So uh, the independence, the mentality of being on your own and having to solve your own problem uh, and not having the possibility to call for help uh, or, you know, it was uh, a way to grow that is different yeah. from today. Italy is a nice place, uh, I think it's a beautiful uh, surrounding to be in i'm from venice as well which is a particular oh. touristic destination in the, in the mainland the part of venice not the island part of venice but still is a is a place with a lot of history and a lot of uh, interesting things to do which uh, has been interesting when i was a teenager uh, meeting tourists from everywhere in the world was something very exciting to do you know and exchanging ideas learning a little bit of uh, foreign languages and foreign culture what motivate to travel marco polo after all is from venice right yeah <laughs> that's right it's a great game to play in the pool by the way marco Polo. <laughs> every time we go to a hotel and i'm swimming with my marco. kids in the pool they always want to play marco polo i'm like do you guys even know who that really is right. but um so you're saying like so as a teenager you got to interact with tourists and things like that and people from other countries why what got you to the point where you you know after you were 18 you wanted to come to the u.s was it for opportunity was you just wanted to travel here and be a part of something different or my uncle on my father's side when he was young um he won like a, a scholarship and he'd been in boston for one or two years to study and he was very well impressed by life in this new other continent a different Consider that if it was uh, alive today, it would be 95, uh, you know, 100 something. So it's quite, it was quite old already when I was a little kid. And he always uh, called me Little American. I have no idea why, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this kind of brainwashed me in making sense of what was the reason for like, being called like that. So I got fascinated. Plus, as you may know, the culture of uh, American movies in, the, in Europe uh, always leave people with this idea of. Uh, this place that is from the movies, right? So yeah. you want to visit. Yeah, and I'm sure when the first time I was in Chinatown in New York, I was looking, where are the cameras? Where is the directors? You know, same thing <laughs> in Venice, California. You know, I go around, this is this, I know this place, I've already been here now. <laughs> yeah, in movies. And you ended up in Florida, right? Was that where your uncle lived or? No, 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 just uh, the first time I arrived in the United States, I had no clue because in school mm. I was very good in mathematics and logic, but geography, history was nothing for me. Yeah. So I took a flight. I was 18 years, one month and one day, which is the minimum time to get an international driver license after getting yeah. the driver license. And uh, I landed at uh, LaGuardia Airport. 
I wanted to rent a car and discovered they rent a car only when you're 21 years old. Yeah, yeah. So they take <laughs> me to the bus stop. I took a random bus. I ended up in Queens, Jamaica, in New York, which it was late in the night. I had my camera in around my neck. It wasn't very safe what I was doing. I had no you're idea how big you were. Right, <laughs> really the dumb kid. And uh, there I met somebody that uh, sold me his car. And with this car, I went up to Quebec City in Canada and then down to Key West. And in this trip, I met people, I made friends, and uh, I went back to visit the friends. And then I went to stay longer. Then, uh, you know, so this one thing stayed wow. the other. And I really love to stay there. So you really just bought a ticket and came over here and just explored. Right. Good. What year was that when you were 18? Uh, I'm 74, so it was uh, 92. 92. Hmm. So I, it, 92 is an interesting time period over here too. There was some interesting it, Life was beautiful. It was very yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you, <laughs> you just flew into New York, couldn't rent a car, got on a bus, ended up in Queens and yeah, met but... a guy, bought his car. How much did you pay for his car? I was shocked. In Italy, a car will cost a lot of money. And yeah. just to change ownership of the car, you will pay something like a thousand dollar of the time. And this guy was sending me his car for $800, which I realized later, you, maybe you can get it for free at Salvation Army. I don't know, it was really <laughs> the lemon. But <laughs> Chrysler yeah. Fifth Avenue, this one with Oh, I was going to ask you, Chrysler Fifth Avenue. I know that car. My, yeah, my grandpa beautiful. years ago had a Chrysler Fifth Avenue. That's, big boat. That probably was hood. your grandpa's car. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. But to me, it was amazing. The car was yeah. uh, in pieces. And I've been shocked as well because at a certain point I ran too much and practically the car stopped. It was raining, so I stopped under an underpass. And I see the police stopping behind me and I think, damn, already I'm lucky the car breaks and now even the police. But this guy came to me and says, what happened? I says, the car is broken. Okay, open the hood. He says, ah, you need the new oil. There is a gas station over there. I said, look how nice this guy is. In Italy, that would never happen, you know? And, oh, really? Uh, uh, and I started walking. So where do you go? I'm going to the station. No, I give you a ride. So he give me the ride. He says, I cannot pay for the oil. He says, but you want to pay for the oil. Like, can I buy you coffee? No, 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 no. Went back, put the oil, and he followed me for a few miles to make sure that uh, make sure you were everything okay. was okay. You know, came back to Italy. My car breaks on the side of the road. Uh, I see the police coming by. I wave. They shoom went straight. So they didn't <laughs> care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I love a, the United States even more in the moment. It's you know? a funny story that, and and that was back in the '90s, but that'll still happen. You know, I think yeah. whether it's movies or shows or TV or media or even YouTube or whatever. Now, you know, the 99.99% of our our officers around the country get a bad rap because of dumb no, stuff. No, but right? obviously the one time that oh. somebody does something. No, also right. those confrontation is quite arrogant to the beginning. You know, I don't give you yeah. my dog. I mean, you know, if somebody's nice, they're nice. And you can get yeah. somebody with a bad day, you know, that can happen to everybody. Yeah, because, I mean, I've had I've had multiple times throughout my life when a police officer's asked, stopped and asked when they could tell that I needed some help. Or even when I didn't, they were curious to see if I did. You know, and I've got friends that have had situations where they've had rides to a gas station because they ran out of gas and all those kind of things. And right. That's the service no, part of the job, is it right? to, to serve and protect. That was the correctly, you know, their, their motto, you know. I, yeah. also, I also been stopped running 120 miles per hour in a 70 or 65 miles uh, <laughs> and they stopped me and I didn't even realize I had like uh, 10 cars behind me, you know, Yeah. and at the end I realized I stopped, they come and say, you're Nancy going like this, I'm Italian, I don't know kilometers, miles, I guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> to which they gave me a warning ticket only and I and I learned this thing about the warning ticket which is an another incredible things you know like you should first okay now you know next time I catch you, you pay for both you know like okay I would never do did that did you again. have a, a US license at a time or just did the international one or Italian one which yeah you have? I had the international driver license mm. which I handed to the guy the guy started looking at it so I said this is your passport give me the driver license <laughs> that's the driver license my passport is this one uh, they had no idea Eventually, my business partner I, I, that happened to he got pulled over a couple of years ago and I think he was in he was in New York or something and they pulled him over looked at his license saw that it was an international license that he got in India and they gave it back to him and said please sir just drive a little bit slower you know be careful <laughs> I don't who think was, he wanted to deal with the paperwork <laughs> you know <laughs> who was a Stephen Wright the comedian that said he took uh, the picture of his driver's life is an out of focus in purpose so when he goes to the police officer he goes like okay just go <laughs> you know? just go I, whatever <laughs> just be careful sir <laughs> so I, that's funny so you're touring around so how long were you so were you kind of back and forth between the states yeah, when you were correct. 18 and at the beginning it was a few months in the states more in italy at the end it was like most of the time there but i always respected visas and also yeah yeah <laughs> so where where do you call home right now well now it's 20 years they live in bali indonesia still tropical island uh, similar climate to weather of florida so it oh, is oh uh, that sounds awful roberto i can't believe terrible. that sounds terrible must be torture suffering. yes <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like living in bali i've i've never been and I, I, you know, you just, I just know from the postcard pictures and, you know, things like that. What's the culture like? What are the people like? What's the, the activity like there? Yeah. And it's a strange thing, you know, Bali for sure has um, millions of reasons to be a nice place. 99% of foreigners living here is people that came for a holiday, stayed here more than a month and went back home, sold everything about here. Wow. Because it's a place that you fall in love for. You don't plan mm. to move here. That's something you do later. Is life expensive in Bali because of the well, tourist no, aspect? Now, now it is uh, uh, relatively. Uh, when I first arrived, it was not. You'll be shocked. I The first house I rented was a nice house with a big garden, uh, two buildings, one area for the mate to, to stay there, a garage. Uh, you know, like, uh, there were fruit trees in the garden as well. So... And I asked for how much was the rent, and the rent came up to be $750. And I'm thinking $750 a month. I said, no, 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 it's per year. $750 per year. <laughs> I said, look, these are 10 years of rent to take them. The house is mine for 10 years now. Oh, wow. And yeah, and then it was impressive. So the house where I live now, I already paid 30 years of rent in advance, and it's a good deal because now prices are increasingly gone high. So you must so have seen the movie Eat, the Pray, and Love. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the lady that wrote the book. It was staying not far from my house here. And uh, after her book, uh, we had a wave, an invasion of immigration uh, from wow. uh, ladies that were searching for their love in Bali and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so how often do you get, do you leave Bali? I do business from Singapore, so which is yeah? a good uh, okay. place in uh, three hours from here flying. Yeah. Um, I've been in Europe uh, pretty much every summer, every winter to stay with family and so on. And then some holiday around. I spent a lot of time in Dubai as well, which is an interesting place mostly for business. Yeah, for sure. So is is English kind of the common language in Bali that most people are speaking in order to kind of communicate together or? Well, the touristic areas obviously speak English, yeah. but... Uh, Indonesian, so 
Indonesia is uh, a 78 years old country. It's very, it's very young, and the language uh, has been created uh, uh, 75 years ago. So it's a new language that keep developing mm. very small vocabulary, and is the simplified version of the Malaysian language, which okay. can be learned in a couple of weeks. There really? is no grammar. There is uh, no grammar whatsoever. So if you have memory enough to remember the words, you can speak the language. It's very wow. Easy. So you speak. Yeah, after 20 You've years, 20 I years, will be, I will be concerned so you, about myself if I could. You're <laughs> like a local now. You might as well. You've got you've got like a quarter of the history of Indonesia, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's, it's true. Actually. Of That's the recent, uh, you know, confirmation of Indonesia was that dictatorship before. So independence came recently. So you said, you know, professionally in your career, you you were into IT at a very young age. Obviously, you're doing some coding and stuff like that. How yeah. did you parlay your, the things you were doing when you were very young and shift that into some more of the, the technology do, you're doing that now? Was there a period in time where you were kind of in a middle ground and then you saw an opportunity to 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 switch into, you know, the blockchain and uh, and things like that? Or, But the, that was, uh, uh, you know, the, the IT... Mostly in the past ten years, has this bubble of uh, the topic. 2023 was artificial intelligence. 2024 will be robotics, artificial intelligence. Before it was uh, NFTs. Before it was the other thing, you know. And you go in uh, LinkedIn, and there is these people changing their description every year, being the most expert to whatever is right. the topic of the year. whatever the topic is. Yeah. Okay. That, <laughs> I was uh, interested in decentralization at the time of BitTorrent. I love the fact that uh, okay. people running websites where you download stuff that is not legal could get caught and the website shut down. Kaza mm -hmm. and all those things that we remember. Yeah, right? I remember back in the day, Napster and then... Napster, uh, yeah. correct. Yeah. So when BitTorrent came out, the regulator had to change law because BitTorrent is not one central website that you can go to. It's a network of computer where no computer is more important than the other. So you can even shut down, shut down five and five more comes out in another place. Yeah. You cannot stop. It's like a living animal made by many people that participate to this project together. And uh, the regulator have to punish who use the system because they cannot get to after the system anymore. Yeah. And this is being also later what uh, made Bitcoin unstoppable as well because he used the same technology, right? And this fascinated me before Bitcoin, still at the time of BitTorrent, because you can have uh, one single big computer that is uh, global and allow you to do several things, right? So I started studying this, and then I was at the right place in the right moment, being luck. Nothing else to be one mm. of the OG but of the of the moment of blockchain. But it could have been, I always say, if blockchain was invented, because invented to be solving a problem, was being invented for hairdresser, nobody will know. Mm. Blockchain yeah. today, right? So because it right. touch money, there is a you know an interesting topic. Then it, it is. So I was there. That's it. Uh, before it was, I did a lot of things. I did a lot of consulting. I worked for law enforcement, a software to do investigations. Uh, wow. I did uh, application of other kind, uh, you know, for archaeologists uh, cutting marbles uh, for uh, uh, plastic surgeon. <laughs> I did different really? things. Then yeah. It's the next one you develop software, you end up learning so many different things and uh, with consultancy a lot. It depends on the company I've been doing. It also did an hardware company, but that's a big idea to do it. So, easy. so to help us lay people understand 
um, what's what's going on when it comes to decentralization. Draw like we got really smart people that listen. I'm mediocrely intelligent sometimes. <laughs> Ask my wife; she'll tell you the truth. But so if it was maybe not the stick figure version, but pretty darn close so that we kind of understand conceptually mm-hmm. what's happening with with centralization, like over the last you know period of years where how things have become more centralized Absolutely. and why that is bad and or dangerous. Okay. So if you think in the age we've been in, in the industrial age era whatever you call it now we are in the information, information era, right age, sure and and we start digitizing things so first there was analog then we make it digital so that can be music then we start transmitting this data through this network right and uh, so that will be streaming of uh, what what is happening now in this case of video right. like, audio what, what's what we're doing as much as uh, the CD for uh, quality of music, you know, all these things. And the services that we can provide online, so it becomes no more a mean of communication, but also means to provide services. If you remember at the beginning, uh, every office had their own mail server at home mm. in the office, right? And this was, in fact, a network of mail server. So when an office sends an email to somebody else, it goes from one mail server to the other, to right? The other yep. Now you have a few companies that have centralized all the email, you know, mm. so they all stay that like Gmail, Outlook, or whatever and your Microsoft, it is. and your Apple, okay. And this is happening for many other services. So we still fall into the fact that uh, my email to you goes through the service provider centralized, which in a certain way can decide if my email arrives to you or not. Was the content that you were not, et cetera, mm. et cetera. It can all be scanned, the, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there is, yeah, there are there are millions of reasons why it's better not to rely on a third party that you need to trust because uh, so the, 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 the innovation that blockchain has brought to us is not much the cryptocurrency, which is uh, one of those use cases, but a little thing, just the tip of the iceberg, is the fact that in the digital world, you can have singularity, uniqueness. In the past, I make a copy of an MP3 file. I have 10 copies I give to 10 friends. I don't know which is the original. Because uh, they're the identical exact copies. copies. Right. Right. Okay. But if you think I cannot make a copy of my Bitcoin and give it to you, because then Bitcoin will be worth zero tomorrow morning. In the moment that my Bitcoin is given to you, I don't have it anymore, which seems as something simple and obvious, but this is incredible in the world of digital uh, things. So, the, the the silly monkey that I'm selling for half a million dollar, which is crazy in my opinion, so yeah. it doesn't have to be. But the, 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 the interesting thing is that somebody can claim the ownership of the small image and it's certified that nobody can cheat, and nobody can steal, you know? So mm. the idea that in the digital world you can have a singularity, you can have a, a periodic time stamping that can be uh, verify that you have a cryptographic signature, so you have identities as well. Those are a lot of elements that allow the creation of a lot of uh, interesting services that before could be done only by trusting a central party to to say the truth. And there are cases where this is close to impossible. If you think all the supply chain, the trade that goes through different countries with different legislation and uh, touch tens of different uh, parties that participate in uh, seller, buyer, shipping company, uh, port authority, uh, freight forwarders, mm-hmm. for example. 
how you can uh, embed all of them in the same common rulebook uh, with the laws and uh, legalization uh, in order to manage uh, something digitally. So it remains uh, a courier with a lot of paper because paper and pen are the minimum common denominator among all the businesses in the world. So you can send a fax, maybe you have a protocol with the fax, but uh, what else you can do? While blockchain can give a base layer where uh, rules of the data that are transmitted through it can be verified, right? I, I can send you a Bitcoin if I have it. If I don't have it, I cannot send it to you, right? Mm -hmm. This is a simple rule, but I can apply this rule to uh, forms, bureaucracy, paperwork, etc., etc. And guaranteeing this thing, guaranteeing the identity of the person that signed, guaranteeing when it's being signed and so on, allow the implementation of so many things that are very powerful and uh, very needed. So this is where we're going to. And this is affecting many industries, even the gaming, going back to the kids mm -hmm. that play the game, right? My daughter has an avatar in uh, Roblox that must cost $2,000 between all the wings, etc., etc., and, and mm. it's limited to that game. She cannot take her avatar and bring it into another, I don't know, a Fortnite, for example, right? Or but Minecraft. Uh, with, My uh, kids Minecraft. always ask me to <laughs> download a, a pack for Minecraft or a skin, and it's five or ten bucks, and I'm like, you really right. want to spend your money on that? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's nothing. It's, it's, and the, it's but, uh, correct. And, but in the moment that you have a digital asset that you own uh, and there is a minimum of compatibility, then you can bring it along, you know, between one part and the other. So the evolution that there is when the World Wide Web was created, the HTML, the hyperlink text, the, uh, the language, sorry, that you're reading a website about uh, an island where they speak about a tree. You click on mm -hmm. the link in the tree, you go in another website specializing in trees that says everything about the tree. And this was passive. So you are not considered. There is the content only. Now you can be considered. So when you go from a place to another, you can bring your identity with you. So you can bring what you have. You can bring who you are. And so what when you interact in a place, the interaction and the effect of interaction are with you when you go to the next place. This is the idea of creating a potential metaverse, which doesn't exist today, but there are a lot of virtual world. They are trying to create a protocol for which the compatibility of your image. So if uh, I am go a blonde guy go. with a green jacket in one world, when I go into the other, I'm still be that with a different graphic, with the different things, but the identity is if I have a sword that I purchased for a lot of money in a game, probably I can bring it in the other game. Mm. And so, and this is thanks to blockchain and uh, this decentralization techniques, right? So it sounds cool. It sounds like there's definitely some advantage to it. What are some of the, what are some of the disadvantages? What are some of the things that we need to be aware of that are possible there's always there's always a side, Absolutely. two sides to the Bitcoin, right? Two sides <laughs> to the blockchain. So what's what's the side that we need to be aware of? Not necessarily scared because you don't want to live life in fear and stuff, but like what what no, should we be watching for? It's a change of paradigm. Okay, going for the simple example, if I do a transaction wrong with the bank, immediately call the bank; they can cancel the transaction. Mm. But if I send a Bitcoin to the wrong person, <laughs> bye. I need to hope bye. this person is ethically <laughs> enough to send them back to me because there is no the the the, the middleman, which mm. is the bank, right? So in the moment that you 
become responsible in full for what you do because you cannot rely on any other. So it changed a little bit the paradigm of how things work. In a place, if you think uh, Dorsey, the ex-CEO of uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. when he was Twitter, spent a lot of time and money and still working on it to create a decentralized content management distribution, CND, okay? Uh, because uh, being pressured to remove content from Twitter was something annoying. If uh, I have a distributed peer-to-peer ma- management of the content uh, that I cannot control, nobody can, can ask me to remove something because it's not mine. It's not me mm-hmm. that have the power to remove it. I can give you just the interface to assess the thing. So in a world where things are decentralized, we sh- cannot regulate uh, what is being put inside, <laughs> Okay, obviously somebody get caught putting some uh, illegal material can, should be arrested, mm-hmm. right? But what I'm trying to say is that the content goes in. The, the paradigm shift is that I need to choose what I want to consume from a decentralized network. So the filter is uh, at, the, uh, at the consumption part, not, mm-hmm. not at the feeding part, because it's very individual, the choice. There is no middleman that can say, hey, no, you cannot post this. You cannot add that is information, right? How is it that, or is it possible, and some of this might be some foresight and some predictive kind of thought on, on your part, is it possible that, like what I, on a very basic level, when I think about it, a lot of times when new things come along, they're great. It's like the wild, wild west. There's a lot of cowboys and a lot of do what you want. And then it's sooner, sooner or later, people get a hold of it and find out how to pull in the reins and then almost reverse turn the tables on, you know, and leverage it against the people using it to some degree. So what are some of the ways that either, whether it's a, whether we say um, regulatory uh, bodies are trying to get a grasp on it, to use it a certain way, or even people using it for nefarious means to, you know, like if I have a, a profile that follows me everywhere and everything about me there, and could that potentially be hijacked and used against me or something like that? Technically, the security is to the top level because you use cryptography. So now mm-hmm. I'm not talking about quantum computer that can break cryptography. Let's pretend that we always follow the best, uh, you know, methodology. So we're always secure. Okay. Because if quantum computer can break all cryptography, there is cryptography that quantum computer cannot break. So yeah, that's simple on one side. On the other aspect, which is more the human aspect of using our tools. Technology has no opinion. So technology is not the decide to be bad or good, right? It's how people it's use the, it's it. It's the user. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how you handle this? Think about one. I have a very nice analogy if you think between uh, BitTorrent uh, and Bitcoin, okay? Okay. When BitTorrent came out, the big lobby of music uh, and movies, they had not much to lobby government. They did lobby government uh, to get uh, just somebody arrested uh, and put in 200 years of prison for just a few pirate stuff that they had, just to scare people from using this tool. Because ignorance uh, and uh, fear, so when something is unknown, you are scared of something unknown because you don't know it, right? If they were smart uh, or they were taking the time to analyze the technology, they had a network supported by third party where they can sell their content in the most remote village of the most remote country where their boxes with the CD or DVD will never arrive intact, okay? So a lot of people will be happy to pay for something that they cannot find in a shop, they cannot find somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And uh, they missed an opportunity that was huge. End up looking bad and uh, not looking very, you know, <laughs> nice to to the consumer. When Bitcoin came out, uh, a lot of central bank uh, started acting the same way. Ah, illegal, forbidden, arrest people, mm -hmm. make, you know. And many others started saying, maybe we can use this technology for, for us. You know, there are a lot mm -hmm. of goods. So they start trying to buy the technology by investing in it, right? Yeah, and owning and it, right? This is, <laughs> is dangerous for the people that are revolutionary, well, want to, you know, Bitcoin is born just as a middle finger to the financial system, right? But uh, the reaction... Take away, our, take away our cash, we're going to use this uh, so correct. that you can't turn off our money, right? Yeah, Right, that's exactly the point. But at the end, when you build the good alternative, then you can start regulating what people can use or not, right? So... Yeah they had a much more intelligent approach to um, trying to control the thing. Because if I have two alternatives, they do the same thing. One is illegal, one is legal. Everybody would choose the legal one, right? Why mm. choosing the other one? But if there is no alternative and the only one is one, people going to use it, right? So mm -hmm. on the psychological aspect, that's the move that they did and is smart in most countries, not everywhere. While on the other side for distribution of music, somebody took over later, you know, first Apple with the, the music store in Apple, then uh, Netflix for the movies, uh, you know, the famous story between uh, Blockbuster and Netflix, right? Yeah, that's uh, an that's amazing exactly, story. Yeah, yeah. Correct. that's exactly what happened when new technology came out and people, when I was a kid and I had my company to do computer software, et cetera, et cetera, digital cameras are coming out in my city. All the photographer had this big Kodak machine where you put inside the roll, you see, smoke a cigarette in the meanwhile, the photo comes out, right? Only one photographer saw this change and thought about. So he bought computer, he wanted to learn how to do graphic uh, yeah. editing, etc., etc. Become super specialized in digital photography. All the other went bankrupt because people were not bringing them the roll to put yeah. in the machine anymore. Didn't so Homer Simpson pressing the button was useless. But the guy that did the digital survived you know yep. and and this has to be in every technology now with artificial intelligence this is going to be a huge tsunami of uh, changing <laughs> it's you know it's the story uh it's the never-ending cyclical story of business and economics like i the story of you know back in i think it was the 60s with uh, kmart the kresge family was uh -huh. approached by walton you know the creator walmart. of walmart mm. and was laughed out of the room and he said, fine, I'll just go do it myself. You know, his first store was funny and he had donkeys and cows and a petting zoo outside. And <laughs> right, right, there was right. all kinds of problems to solve. But look who put who out of business, right. you know? And it's a similar thing with Amazon and, and everybody else right now. And a lot of people are, have evolved their platforms to be like Amazon for distribution and yeah, delivery funny, and stuff. Funny but, enough, when I first came to the United States, there was this huge problem of shopping mall bankrupting downtowns and every yes. downtown was uh, all Just, uh, a wooden board on the window of the yes. shop, uh, a lot of drug addicts around, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw the transformation. I saw how government changed tax rules and all. And they transformed them down in boutique places with very expensive shop, like mostly there in Sarasota, where I was staying in Florida. Yeah, and, it happened and here as, you know, in Wisconsin in small towns. There was yeah. a revival of local marts and, and markets Correct. and things like that. Right. But this is a psychological approach, an opportunity given. In Italy, this drama is happening now. 
And it doesn't mm. matter how much I tell people, you know, I saw this happen. We should learn from that. You know how they change. But, and you, you know, know what's uh, happening now? The shopping malls are ghost towns closing now. Down. <laughs> they're closing down and they're tearing them down because people aren't leaving their house and they're just getting stuff shipped. Online, you know, correct. and it keeps next. changing and it keeps changing like this. Absolutely. You're uh, you're doing some other stuff too. I saw so Matt put together a little a little document for me talking about one of the other things you're doing. You're a chief technology officer for for something called SimFly. Yes. So I, I got we got online, kind of looked at this, and we're like. What is going on? I saw this map and little airplanes <laughs> pointed over there. I'm like, is that really like flights happening? And then you can, what tell what is going okay. on with that? This is something that blew my mind uh, almost literally, meaning that uh, nosebleed was the minimum I could get when I realized what it was. So as I was telling you, it took sabbatic time, but sabbatic yeah. for me doesn't mean don't work. <laughs> yeah, go, like, I, I, I'm working with go. an artificial intelligence company and this. Uh, so that was your sabbatical. You just got to work doing something else. Exactly. You couldn't go outside to the beach and paint the ocean (laughs) or read a book, maybe. Besides, besides I am so big that if I go to the beach, Greenpeace is going to come and push me back (laughs) in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Okay. Anyways. I like you even more now. um, That's good. This uh, this (laughs) Infly is a startup that uh, for... uh, Four people came to me and asked if I could help with Web3 things. And I said, okay, I'll give you one day per month, just uh, pro bono, which became one day per week, which became every day. And then some people said, guys, okay, I am really putting a lot of effort here. So I became 20% owner of the business. What it is, it is a play to earn. And play to earn are famously scams, okay? I've been in blockchain from day zero, and I never did an ICO because I find them unethical, okay? And in fact, a lot of ICO end up to be really either failing or scam from the from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Play to earn is another dress for those ICO. It's a lot of scam. And if you think logically, a play to earn sounds like a Ponzi scheme. How can you yeah. take out something from a box if you don't put it in, in one size? So how can yeah. you pay? But uh, <laughs> sure enough, I, I analyzed this thing. I designed a token economy. And this thing is ethical and it makes sense in all means. So it's not a simple game that you press the button and you earn the coin that you need to buy the other thing. This is, uh, in terms of economy, it responds to all the laws of economy. So first of all, the target audience is people that uh, fly with the flight simulators, okay? And uh, to fly an airplane with a flight simulator, you need to know how to pilot an airplane. It's not a video game that you sit there and run the car and, you know, if you don't know what lever was which, what things to move, how to call, you, you don't even move the airplane from where it is when you start the game. Mm. So it is not a game. It is something that a passion people do is a retired pilot, uh, is people mm-hmm. that really love to fly. And uh, it's people that invest a lot of money because the computer that they use must be powerful. Powerful graphic cards, a powerful computer, sometimes three or four monitors to have the perspective all around. Mm-hmm. Other time they buy all the gears from actually Right, yeah. They have the all. There is people that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do all the hydraulic cabins so you feel the movement yeah. like if you're flying, right? So now, it's not that anybody the register can actually play. Mm. And uh, they love the idea of simulation. So everything has to emulate the reality. And there is not, there was not before us, uh, the emulation of the financial aspect of all the industry of aviation. 
So even though they organize themselves in virtual airlines, they like to say 8.30, you need to start flying the airplane from Venice to New York. You need to load the passenger. And it's uh, like a, a metaverse because it's multi-user. So when you see the other airplane uh, queuing to take off, it's another person somewhere else that is actually flying with the game. flight simulator. And when you saw the map in uh, in uh, Simfly, yeah. those are all people that are at home with the flight simulator. It looks like flight radar with actual airplane, right? Yeah, because when I was looking at it, I saw like uh, flight schedules. I saw... Like, uh boarding numbers i saw all this so, like the the plane that was being flown the model number so is absolutely. it using all the same software is it different simulators that are being used that kind of integrate yeah, into the platform now now we support three three different simulators but we are adding them on uh consider we launched very recently yeah. and uh these people are people at home they install our plugin so we take the data when they're flying we show in the map and we allow them to do missions right and if they fly, they earn they earn a token. But this token we don't, you know, issue just in airdrop. This is only earned by flying. Means as a value because there is a work that uh, so is done. So they earn coins based on the miles and the successful flight. Correct, exactly. If okay. they do a landing that is softer, other than harsh, uh, and uh, and so on, like the what kind of airport kind of uh, license they have, and people can buy airports. And they earn a base on the amount of people landing and taking off from the airport, uh, airport. or buy aircrafts and renting them out uh, to people for flight. So Ecrate is a simulation of the economy that has an internal tour. So buying the Dubai airport costs $100,000 or tokens, per se. Tokens. And okay. not because I expect somebody come with incredible credit card and purchase that, but because yeah. the career that you do and the growth that you do slowly may arrive in a few years to purchase those so it is uh, it is an interesting ethical play to earn that i never saw elsewhere and it works because it's attached to actual knowledge needed and actual work so it's limited by that aspect so they're playing to earn within a closed economy within the the, the game's rules kind of world, right? Right. The, 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 the token economy is simple like this. When somebody earns a token, the, the token is minted. When okay. they spend the token to buy assets, it's destroyed. So in circulation, there are only the tokens that have been earned, but not yet used. It, ah. is, it is allowed to automatically scale. If there are, are 1,000 users... There is a certain amount. If there are okay. ten thousand users, the amount grows, and when they reduce the user, the consumption reduces the token. So it's very interesting, and they can exchange because those are tokens that work in the blockchain. So people can resell it to others, other things. So also the airport, the license are NFTs that people can exchange and sell outside our website, outside our control. The beauty of uh, the unicity of a set in the in the blockchain, right? Right. That's very interesting. That's something else. I mean, I think that's really neat. And that's and you guys just launched this within the what the past year? Did you say? Uh, the first of, the first of January was the first oh. day out of beta. Okay. But the, the website is on and the community is grown. We have eight thousand pilots at the moment that are registered, and we started uh, about one year ago to implement uh, the website. So so the only the only folks that are really involved in it that are actually kind of playing in it are pilots there's not like like uh, attendants and other employees of the airport or even passengers that are involved in it or 
eventually in uh, there is people that do the control tower that, that you know yeah. monitor yeah, yeah. there is people that do that uh the idea of having a passenger is something that i think can be done because the cabin inside the airplane can be you know you can walk virtually and sit in any seat and uh, you know and could you have an experience in there you know like absolutely yeah. but that's this is something that is not yet implemented yeah, but uh, something that can be done <laughs> yeah because you need the ability to to let's say you're on a, a plane that can hold 200 people you know could you possibly with the with the proper compute power you know on on servers cloud servers to have 200 people in one environment like they do in a game where they're yeah, shooting absolutely. at each other you know because I mean? is each individual person that uh, elaborate their own data that what is shared around is just uh, some information but the rendering is done locally no it can yeah. be done absolutely in uh, and there are games where these are that are doing that it's, just in different capacities right wow yeah and i think That's during cool. the pandemic the people could not fly in singapore singapore airline was uh, selling uh round trip uh, one-way tickets so people who enter the airplane they will fly on top of other few countries and land back in singapore <laughs> <laughs> just to let people get around just because the people out. is addicted to flight and they need uh, to do so so yeah. one of the things that you mentioned uh, that you end up talking about a lot is how can people can avoid getting scammed and getting involved in the wrong kind mm -hmm. of things. So what what are some what are some maybe the top couple tips that you could give uh, our folks listening or watching to you know if they're if they're intrigued by what they're 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 hearing and they want to learn more yes. but they don't want to get involved in something that it's going to bite them. What 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 should we be doing? Well, I, I have a, actually a podcast uh, where I participate as one of the hosts, where I have my series that is called Conquest. That is Conquest. really con the con artist and quest the one chasing. And there are a lot of YouTubers that spend their time, you know, educating. The key things is when it's too good to be true, think twice or discuss with friend if it's possible that some uh, deal is uh, so good. In fact, good. Yeah. Uh, people that scam usually try to rush people in making decisions fast. If somebody is trying to rush to make a fast decision, always hang up. Take make it time. seem really urgent right like you gotta uh, do urgency this now. is a key exactly because people don't have the time to elaborate and uh, you know Think. so yeah if somebody receive a message uh, saying from the phone number of their son or husband saying i'm in trouble i need your help try to call them back and see if they really send the message or somebody spoofing yeah. the phone number even the voice now with the fake is easy to even see a video a little blurry maybe or hearing the voice that is exactly the voice of this person saying things that this person never said you know so yeah. always never trust what you see or hear if you're not right. seeing or hearing it's a, it's this a real world we're living in now right and unfortunately the victim is always the most uh, fragile people people that don't even uh, think about this in fact the education is usually toward the family members or close friend or loved one or, or people elderly, that can be a victim right? can be elderly, it can yeah. be people that simply are too trusty, you know, by nature. Yeah, yeah I, I'll get calls all the time and it'll, I won't answer the ones that say scam like you, but I rarely answer the ones I don't recognize. But when I do and you get that, you get that, uh, that pause before anybody talks, I'm always like, I'm not going to say anything else. Are they just going to try to record my voice and digitize it and use it in other ways and uh -huh. try to get people to do things that they're not supposed to do? Yeah, it's in crazy. Italy, even uh, um, telemarketer were using, asking, you know, like, are you interested? You say yes. And then they were using this yes to put it after, are you accepting the offer to purchase something? Yeah, and that's then, what worries me. Yeah, yeah, you correct. Know? So, so I, wow. Well, one um, more time, cryptography oh, yeah. would allow to guarantee that I accepted because I signed cryptographically something right? rather than saying yes with my voice. Yep. So 
you know, when you're not seriously, you know, taking sabbaticals, not actually on vacation, you're working hard developing new companies and you're not working on what you're working on. What are you doing for fun? Do you have hobbies? Do you have things you enjoy to do? Is it spending time with family? Is it travel? Is it, you know, well, do you obviously like to- I spend time with family because, you know, that's the biggest pleasure that sure. I have. Uh, the little three years old daughter is uh, um, like a bomb of joy. It's, it's fantastic. But unfortunately, my hobby is my work. So I end up doing this uh, until three in the morning just because I love if it. If you love it, it's not work, right? <laughs> my wife, I, was, I was working last night. She's like, honey, are you working? And I'm like, it's not work if I'm having fun. Correct. You know? so, yeah. But I like also now to prepare more um, different things. I explore. So like with artificial intelligence, which is not only a trend, but something I've been interested by never understood deeply in the past year and a half. Uh, I did a very big deep dive, uh, so I'm running model and training model in my computer and doing a uh, agent application, which is fascinating. But uh, you know, because also people expect Roberto must know, so they come to me with any questions. So better yeah. being ready to give a good answer, you know, something. So yeah, you got to keep up with those things so you can talk intelligently about it. But nothing kind of like uh, offline, you know, like. Uh, is it, do you enjoy a certain type of entertainment, uh, sport, or any kind of thing like that? Well, sp- sport, uh, I don't like to watch sport because yeah. I rather would do it, but I'm not physically out to do sport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least it's walking to the refrigerator and back, which I'm very good at. But uh, um, I like motorcycle. I like oh. motocross. I used to do a lot of uh, of that in the past. And, uh, so you used, to ride, a, you used to ride motorbikes, dirt bikes? Right, yes, yes, correct, dirt bikes, yes. Oh, I'm wow. not for speed. I had Army Davis on slow bikes where you enjoy life, uh, you know. And dirt yeah. bikes are nice. I like to jump uh, because I like also with skiing, skiing, jumping. Uh, skiing is one of the things I love to do as well. Uh, but uh, in Bali, there is not much to ski. There's no hills <laughs> or mountains. <laughs> so in the winter in Italy, yes. And, and yes, and going out, Bali is beautiful to visit. There are a lot of beautiful things to do or traveling. I like to take holidays in Thailand. I have a lot of friends over there. I go visit often, uh, um, you know, so most of most of things are around here. Easy. Whenever I want something, I have a nice swimming pool outside. I jump in the swimming yeah, pool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, how about, how like, so you're, you know, you're, 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 uh, what what's the what's the food scene like in Bali? Can you like go to get any type of food you want at a restaurant, or are there markets yeah. where you can get lots of good fresh stuff and come home and prepare it? Yeah, uh, being a touristic destination, uh, there are restaurants of every sort. Uh, you know, like uh, like from hidden breakfast gems to that, dinner, you can really choose. Yeah. There are steakhouse. There is anything Italian, French, uh, Thai, all, all sorts. If you go more inside uh, in the villages in Indonesia, you have a choice between fried rice, fried rice, fried rice, fried rice. So maybe sometimes <laughs> they have a fried rice. <laughs> now, now, I say these things because it's funny. When you move in a different culture, everything seems the same. But yeah. when you oh. live here after a while, each one has a different uh, connotation. So you learn uh, you learn to appreciate them. And, uh, and being more, very variegated because, as I was saying, as being united recently, so, and they are very several different languages. So there is different mm. food for each area of Indonesia, which makes this uh, an interesting place to discover in terms of food. What's your favorite st- style of food to, of choice? I'm Italian, what I can tell you. Okay. Well, hey, <laughs> like, but you, you could ask, you could ask me. Now I don't uh-huh. eat a whole lot of pasta and stuff anymore. Cause I was, I was, I was trying to get healthier, but Italian, 
Italian was my go-to. Italian, you know, uh, in, in Europe, there is a huge culture of food. Uh, I think Italian is the most moderated uh, because it doesn't push too much in every direction. A little bit like the language. If I hear Spanish mm. pe- people talking, which I love, I can stay hour to listen to the Spanish yeah. accent. Uh, to me, it's people that party. How can you do something else in your life <laughs> you speak uh, Spanish? <laughs> French people, they're all romantic <laughs> because yeah. the language. How can you be upset? German people is always upset even when they say I love you to their girlfriend with the language. <laughs> no? oh. Italian is a language where you can go through every state with different, mm. uh, you know, use of grammar and accent. So it is, it is interesting. And the food follow the same thing. And there is so much uh, moderation in food that you can go from, uh, you know, one taste and another but uh, making it acceptable. That's why it's famous in the world, I think. Second it's such a universal food. food, right? Yeah. Italian, yeah, I mean, correct. it's like... Who hasn't Everywhere. had pizza? Maybe not <laughs> real Italian pizza, but who hasn't had pizza? And who hasn't had spaghetti? And who hasn't had lasagna? And who hasn't, right. you know, it's like, oh, you can't go wrong. My daughter's <laughs> so, favorite food is fettuccine Alfredo. and that, uh, see, Which doesn't exist in Italy, interestingly enough. See? But <laughs> yeah, not that funny? But yeah, that's, that is so common that it even becomes a customized for other locations. So it is for sure a nice, a nice food. The Thai food, for Asian food, I think is the nicest. Uh, Korean as well, very nice. I like. Uh, I like spicy foods. Meat. Do you like spicy food? To a certain extent, you to need to pay attention extent, when yeah. you come into this part of the world that's for spicy because it can be something forbidden. It will kill you. <laughs> my like I said, my business partner Manny, who's usually here next to me, he's just been AWOL for a couple of weeks. He loves spicy food, and we go. We uh-huh. had Indian food in Chicago the other day. Authentic Indian. And we asked for spicy. He's like, I want spicy, really spicy. And they brought it out and it wasn't spicy. It was like American spicy. He's Nothing, like, no, 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 yeah, absolutely not. spicy. And they came back and it's like, okay, that, it's okay, good. I can barely tolerate that. But the, for me, the problem with Indian food is that three days later, I get out of the toilet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because really it will wreck you. <laughs> it will wreck you. If you're not, if you're like, you go into it knowing you might as well just cancel all your meetings for a couple of days. <laughs> You know, Zoom but meetings maybe because you can mute it. But if you got in-person stuff, you might as well just you just right. cancel. But, but, but on the other side, it's delicious. In Singapore, oh, I, so I ate the best, the best Indian food. But exactly with this problem attached to it, so <laughs> good. Like my uh, two, both of my business partners are Indi- from India, uh, and one of them, his mom lives here in the states with him, and her name is Rosie. And she, anytime I visit, she cooks food. She's like, "You're looking so skinny. You need some meat on your bones." She makes me sit down and just piles food in front of me. But it's so so good, good. Yeah, so much flavor and like spices and in like so many different things going on. But yeah. you're right. It will because it, I don't eat it every day. It's it runs right through you for a yeah. while. It's not fun. Yeah, it's a choice. The ple- pleasure comes with the consequences. Hey, you do a lot of, I know you do a lot of podcasting because, you know, leading up to it, I kind of looked, I wanted to see what you look like and see what you sound like so I could interact (laughs) with you and feel familiar. And, and, uh, what are some things and you're doing all these shows, it's almost like a circuit. What are some things you don't get to talk about often that you wish you would, or you wish would come up? Are there some things that, you know, that you'd like to kind of share about, or you wish you'd get asked about more often? Huh? You know, I, my dream is to do stand up comedy. Oh, one day, really? I guess, when I'm going to be 80 years old, I'm going to debut <laughs> in this. And it's not easy. I I study humor since I was a little kid. There's the other things besides computer that I really put on the psychology aspect of humor, uh, jokes in different countries based on the culture of the place is uh, the education because humor reflects uh, IQ. 
you know, mm. how the mm-hmm. jokes. And you see how a country is going by what makes people laugh in television. You know, if it's just oh, dirty yes. words and non-stupid things, you see that the, the audience. You know, people think that people think that you know on the outside, people think that comedians are are like your class clowns or that your people just cut up and they're goofy and they're not intelligent. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. They're introspective. They're intelligent. They're very melancholy and detail oriented because they notice the things right. that that if you point out in a certain way, it's very funny because it's true and it's obvious. And sometimes it's ridiculous, right? Have you ever tried yeah. to get up on stage and, and uh, entertain oh, people? Uh, that's uh, has been traumatic. I I went <laughs> in an open mic and yeah. uh, I did my act and people were laughing so hard. They was acclaimed huge claps, like uh, a success. So much that they insisted that I go back the next day I couldn't even do three seconds. I was booed out of the stage. On the next day, because it was a different group of people. I don't know. I, I didn't start well. Probably oh. was a coincidence the previous time I did the right thing. I don't know. But yet, you know, that shouldn't be the motivator. But, uh, you know. How did you feel when you did it? The sur- was it like a rush, a surge? Or was you, were you, you know? I When I was 14, I dropped computer for a year and I did the magic show on stage. I did the, uh, you know, levitating. You've done all kinds of stuff, thing. Roberto. Man. Yeah, yeah, but that's interesting. But it's teacher because the tricks on the, themselves are mechanical stuff. So it's nothing. Mm. You don't have to become a wizard. So it's really following the music, following the act, making the show. And I was young. And once, because I become, I was the youngest in Italy, part of the Magic Club. So they called me for an important show and there were about 5,000 people in the public. And when you go in sta- out on the stage, you have 10,000 eyes looking at you, expecting something, you freeze. I became made of ice in a second. Thank God the music started, and then I start going with my routine. But uh, yeah. that uh, I've been, uh, I had my 50 minutes of fame. I was in all the TV shows in Italy, in the yeah. talk show, the, and uh, that really helped me to learn to deal. Usually, I was drinking a vodka or two before going <laughs> to just to calm down the the, the, the down, tension. Yeah. And after a while, I I learned to be okay, you know, like uh, to to do it. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, for sure, for for people to start, uh, you need to understand that is all in your head. <laughs> there is oh, no yeah. reason to be nervous. But when yep. television was coming to interview me, the camera in front, the journalist asking questions, I was shaking. I I couldn't talk, and they were like, "Come down, come down," you know, like. <laughs> well, it's one thing when you were when you perform, like like I I I, I play music in front of people, all right, and um and then you know. Even when I'm doing sales presentations that are mm-hmm. worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. and you have all this preparation and this buildup and this mastery, and then you perform in front of the people, and it goes good or whatever, and you get done. I what I struggle with is the after. It is is like it's almost like this vacuum. I don't the, know what to do next. The down the down that comes after when it's finished. Right, because you get so <laughs> far up, it's like. This is chemicals in the body that do this process. Absolutely. I'm like, I almost feel like out of body, like where I'm, I'm here, <laughs> things are happening, but I yeah, can't yeah. get into this this rhythm outside of that for at least a couple hours. It's very strange. Touches. Yeah, it's very individual, but yes, I can uh, I can associate with that. It's no more now. It's yeah. really natural. I, I do, I speak at conferences constantly. There's been yeah, a period of time. That kind of was... stuff, not so bad, yeah. But so you want to be a comedian? I'd love to see that. I'd come to your show in a heartbeat. Yeah, if if I'm brave enough, I will start something under a different pseudonym. You could <laughs> just put, we... just get a get a little space in Bali there, um, <laughs> and tourists can come and see, yeah. come and see your show. 
<laughs> maybe a little maybe you have some opening magic acts right? <laughs> that, would cool. <laughs> that would be cool that would be cool Next thing you know, you'll be in Vegas. You'll just have, you'll be headlighting a hotel in Vegas. Cool. Well, hey, Roberto, this has been great. I know we're, we're about five minutes over an hour here. This time went by so fast. This might be the the fastest. It felt like a a show went by for me. I am just floored with, you seem like an amazing guy. And again, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks. Well, it's been a pleasure and I'm happy to do it again whenever you guys want. Oh, that will happen. I will make sure. Matt, put them on the list. We can be more thematic. Talk about homeschooling kids. Talk about, yeah. you know, There's like... all kinds of stuff to do. <laughs> right. I might have a flight simulator in my basement by then. There you go. <laughs> Super. I might own an airport or two by then. <laughs> Tell me, I'll give you a discount coupon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you. 